Hey, this is Gavin Crawford, host of Because News on CBC Radio, and you're listening to The Geo Show. 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 Welcome to the Geo Show. Once again, I am your host and master of ceremonies, GOP. And I have a very special guest joining me today. He is the current host of the CBC radio show and TV show now, Because News. Previous member of the cast of This Hour is 22 Minutes. He's a stand-up comedian overall, a very funny guy. It's the wonderful Gavin Crawford. Gavin, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm very excited to have you on. I haven't really mentioned this before, but growing up, and maybe I guess it explains a lot of things, but growing up as a a young teenager, one of my favorite shows was uh, This Hour is 22 Minutes. I used to tape it. I watched reruns. I just lived and breathed the show. And uh, of course, you were one of the the cast members on uh, early 2000, late uh, 2000 seasons around like... uh, yeah, I think I went, uh, I don't remember exactly when I was there. It was probably somewhere around 2004. I think so like, yeah. yeah, something, something like that. <laughs> Do this. This was the uh, Stephen Harper era. Yeah, was- I think that was probably, I think when I first got there, it was pretty much kind of, it was the, the end of Paul Martin, beginning of Stephen Harper era. But I remember because it- I, we had to cover, I think, uh, election when I first got there or maybe yeah I think I don't know I can't remember if Harper I just remember the very one of the very first things that I had to do was like go up to Parliament Hill and like interview politicians on the like coming out of the House of Commons and it was terrifying because I really? didn't I wasn't I was like I don't know how to do this yeah I think I was playing like a fashion designer character and I was like asking them all about their wardrobes I was being oh, like wow. a German fashion designer and then asking Peter McKay, like, how do you make your suits look so oily? But <laughs> oh, things wow. like that. But then very shortly after that, after Harper got in power, we weren't allowed to go up to, um, we weren't allowed on Parliament Hill. They passed a like rule that were like, only serious journalists, no comedy shows. Really? He must, he, I guess, I guess he was keeping tabs on the show and he didn't want you uh, barging in. Yeah, no, they, uh, he, uh, he nipped that. Uh, it was weird because we used to just have full access to do whatever we wanted, but then... Uh, yeah, beginning in that era, we had to like only get them when they were like campaigning somewhere or yeah, off site. We couldn't go up to Parliament Hill anymore. Oh, wow. So we used to just have to like be in a hotel hallway and hide and then jump out while they were walking and ambush them, uh, which was never my favorite thing to do. But uh, it always worked and people really liked it. But I've, I'm very shy. So I always found it very terrifying to like have to go up and just like shove a microphone in a politician's face and start asking them questions. Yeah, that must be crazy, especially like you mentioned your first thing for the show is just like right smack in Ottawa in Parliament Hill. That must Yeah, be. I think the very first thing that I ever had to do that was like that when I first got there, because the whole first year that I was doing 22 Minutes, uh, I was just filling in for Mary Walsh when she, she would go away for two weeks and then I would come in. Mm-hmm. So she kind of did every other like every couple of second weeks for that first season. And I always thought I'm for sure fired at the end of these two weeks. Uh, so I did that for like, a year. so I'd go down for two weeks and have fun and just be like, okay, well, that was a fun job and I'll never be doing that again. Uh, but then they kept calling me 
at the end of two weeks and then being like, do you want to come back for another two weeks? Uh, but I think the first time I ever had to do one of those, they were like, Brian Mulrooney is uh, at the convention center in Halifax. You need to go interview him. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And then I was like, uh, can I do it in a character? Uh, and then I had sort of this like, well, Mark Jackson, who's like the nerdy kind of teenage character that I used to do on Gavin Crawford show. And I had that wig with me. So I was like, uh, can I just do this like nerdy character that way? Like if I'm super nervous, it won't matter. Uh, Cause it will just add to it. And they were like, sure, sure. Whatever you need. Uh, so then I got in this stupid wig and makeup and then went down to the convention center. And then I was like, I don't really know that much about politics. So I just interviewed Brian Mulrooney and kept just being like, what's it like to be Ben Mulrooney's dad? What is it like to be the dad of someone so famous and amazing? And I just acted like I didn't know that he was ever prime minister. Uh, and it worked out pretty well, which was uh, good and bad because then I had to do it. Like I had to keep doing it more and more times, but it was okay because in that character, if I stumbled over my words or I got too nervous, it didn't look weird because it was just part of the bit. And it also really was disarming for the politicians because they would sort of think who is this weird kid like and sometimes they'd like try to help me out yeah not knowing that I was just like actually a comedian so that actually worked out really well in my favor do you prefer doing the interviews like in a character like as Mark Jackson or do you prefer doing them as Gavin Crawford oh no definitely in a character especially for that kind of thing I mean I would I would have never um been able to do them as myself at the time I didn't have that for something about being a character gave me more confidence because I could be like well it's not me it's them which sounds stupid but mentally it does something to you yeah. and that's what I started off doing was characters I never used to do stand-up in the early days that wasn't uh character stand-up I always uh it took me a long time to sort of develop a persona that's myself and learn how to just be hey I'm Gavin Crawford and I'm just me saying funny things and not be in a character, uh, <clears throat> which it was a weird, like kind of slow evolution to like, which is weird because now I do that on Because News every single week, I'm just myself. Right. And, uh, but it took a long, it took probably, you know, 20 years to develop that confidence to be able to just go out and do stand up and things. It started because I would get asked to like host things like a, a benefit or someone would be like, hi, can you come and host this comedy show? And you can't really host a show in a character. So I had to sort of just figure out how, how to just be me and be competent and still be funny. Uh, and then, you know, like maybe do a character piece at some point in the show, but you can't exactly be Mark Jackson and be like, you know, our next comedian. <laughs> it's just sort of, it's too weird. So I, that sort of started it and then I just purposely practiced that more and more so I would get more confident and kind of better at it. Now, initially, how did, maybe I should have started off with this, but how did you get into kind of like comedy? What was kind of, what was your push to get you in? Was it or something you wanted to do from the beginning or was it something that like uh, came as like an afterthought? Um, sort of partly desperation. Uh <laughs> You know, I went to theater school in Vancouver at UBC and got like a proper theater degree, uh, which we didn't hardly do any. We didn't really study any comedy out there. It was mostly, you know, Shakespeare. And uh, it was a very like classical 
theater training program. Uh, but I sort of realized like at the end of it, like I didn't really, not that I don't like doing Shakespeare, I do. Uh, but I was like, like my fellow students and, you know, they would be like, oh, I just can't, you know, I really want to play Hamlet. And I thought, I never want to play Hamlet. Like I, I there's something else I want to do. And I kind of wanted to write my own things and, but I didn't know how to do that. And then when I first moved to Toronto, I sort of started taking like classes at Second City. And then I realized like, oh, this is kind of more what I want to do. And then I just started writing these character monologues these sort of weird these were I used to like had this gay country singer character that I would do where he was like kind of like out but not really out and he mm. had a song called all my women left me so I started dating men uh <laughs> it was like and he was like yeah performing at the Grand Old Opry and I would just sort of go and do that at like open mic nights and then uh I wrote other character pieces and so I started kind of going around and doing those in kind of like at the Rivoli or whatever kind of alternative stand-up clubs there was and I always liked that kind of stuff I always liked Lily Tomlin and Whoopi Goldberg and um people that did character comedy uh so that's how kind of how I started out and then yeah that just kind of took off and then sort of parallel to that I got into the Second City company. So then it was on the main stage in Toronto doing improv like every night and it was very intense, but that sort of was where I learned kind of on the fly how to do it. What was it like working at the Second City? Uh, very fun, uh, hard. It was very exciting because I think it was one of my first like real theater jobs. You know, when you're like young and you're just, you have all kinds of like, you know, every crappy job that you could possibly imagine. You know, I've done everything from like singing telegrams to um, being like a secret shopper for video stores where I had to like rent movies and then return them late and see how the people treated me and write it down on a form. And uh, I think, and then I worked at the Bay when I moved to Toronto in the towel department for a little while (laughs) uh, with like a whole bunch of middle-aged ladies and like 20 year old me. being like the towel boy (laughs) and uh, then I got hired at Second City it was sort of my first full I had done like some you know a bit a few plays and a bit of like children's theater touring um with like the show called Beethoven Lives Upstairs um where we like to would tour all around to schools and things like that but this was like my first actual like solid I only have to be a performer job. I think I made like $400 a week or something, which seemed like a huge amount of money at the time. And I was like, oh, I can finally buy a mattress. Uh, <laughs> you know, and like the futon years are over. So that was very exciting, but it was awesome. it was intense because Second City, basically what happens is you start off in the auxiliary company and then you're sort of in the understudy pool for the people on the main stage. And what will happen is, you know, you'll get a call sort of like at 10 in the morning and they'll be like, uh, you know, so-and-so's not going to be in the show tonight. Uh, so we want you to come in. And then they would send you over a grainy videotape of the show you were supposed to be doing that was like shot from the back of the theater. And then you would have to like watch it, study it all afternoon and try to figure out what your parts were. And then you'd go in around like six o'clock, the stage manager would walk you through the show, your entrances and exits. None of the other cast would be there. 
all the other cast would trickle in around 7.30 and be like, hi, nice to meet you. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And then at eight o'clock, you just kind of got thrown out on stage doing the show in front of people that you had never practiced, never done before. Uh, and you're just hanging on by the skin of your teeth. It's I, I, looking back now, I'm like, how did I even ever do that in the first place and not get like so terrified? Yeah, so that particular show, I ended up understudying like three of the different cast members. So I had to I had three different tracks that I had to learn. Just when I learned one, they'd phone and be like, oh, Jack Mossheimer's out of the show. You have to go in for Jack tonight. And then I'd get the videotape again, have to watch all his parts. And uh, so I did that for uh, probably like three months as an understudy. And then, uh, then they did a cast changeover and I got promoted to the main stage, which is really fun because you're just every night you're doing a show, you're writing a show, and then you improvise and live in front of the audience. Uh, and it just really, it's really incredible training for comedy, for acting, for like, I think for me, all the best actors that I know are always second city trained people because it just teaches you how to listen and respond, which is mostly what acting is. Like I learned a few things in theater school, but I would say I really significantly ramped up learning how to act. <laughs> by just being at Second City. And I'm not sure if this is exactly after Second City happened or um, when this, but you actually eventually got your own uh, TV show on the Comedy Network, which is now the CTV Comedy Channel, I believe they call it, but you were uh, the Gavin Crawford show. How how did that kind of start up and what was it like getting like your own show? Uh, It was basically a fluke. Um, I was at Second City and I had been doing character monologues sort of concurrently in clubs at the same time and it was going pretty well and then I did, I taped a comedy special for CTV, Comedy Now I think it was called, but it was like a one hour character special uh, that they kept like running and rerunning and um, yeah, Second City had, they just had a deal with Comedy Network, Comedy Network was just starting out at that time and they had sort of uh, they had a deal for like two one hour second city specials, but they couldn't get anything together. So we just kind of went and said like, Hey, what if you break it up into like four half hours and let me make a show and we'll do four episodes. And uh, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but you've got the time you have the deal. Uh, and somehow they went for it. Uh, and so then we ended up doing these four, sort of the first four episodes of Gavin Crawford show. And then it worked well enough, I guess that, yeah, then they gave us another season of, I think nine. And then we did a third season of 13. At the time, everyone was like, you call the show Gavin Crawford show? But we're like, what else are we supposed to call it? It's just me playing all the characters. <laughs> and, uh, but it was intense. It was, it was very, very fun. Yeah, that type of show is just like, I mean, we had no budget. So we shot everything on location with like borrowed costumes. One of the reasons Mark Jackson exists as a character is just because we were literally like calling around to people and being like, does anyone have wigs in their basement uh, or in their closet? And can we borrow them? And we found this like stupid bowl cut wig that just had like the most ridiculous front bangs like cut off. And I put it on my head and I just started like sort of acting awkward. and. Okay, if you're like writing an essay on um, Alexander the Great, like just remember, don't spell great, like G-R, the number eight. 
because that's what I did and I got like a D minus because like my teacher said that we're not allowed to write essays in um texting. Uh, I kind of feel like until I get the hair, I don't really have the character. So uh, sometimes characters come from the inside out, but a lot of times for me, they come from the outside in where it'll be based on a jacket or uh, based on like a, a crappy wig, which is the case with Mark Jackson, where it's just, I think it's because once my grandmother cut my hair when I was young and she cut it basically like that, like she literally put a bowl on my head and, and did like the straight across bangs. And it was so humiliating and it just sort of putting that wig on brought back all of those feelings of just being like an awkward kid and and just feeling shy and not confident. And and then the thing with Mark Jackson that I liked is that he just had such a Charlie Brown kind of quality for him. I think the very first sketch we did with him where it was like he was running for class president, but not because he wanted to, because his mom was making him. Because uh, he always had this sort of backstory we had this quite horrible mother um where you know i think there's a monologue that i do live where he's like uh oh i don't know if you know this but i like recently um started taking singing lessons not because like i i, um, I wanted to more because like my mom said well like we tried everything else and surely to god i must be good at something um so he he's always just sort of like a try he's a very charlie brown type of character like he's just yeah. gonna keep trying to cook kick the football and even no matter how mean people are to him it's like he just doesn't even he sort of acknowledges it but it doesn't bring him down he just is like keeps plugging away and there's something that I really enjoy about that type of character uh yeah and so like in that first sketch I think like he was like being tortured and dragged down the hall by like bullies but he's like as he's getting dragged down the hall he's handing out flyers like can I count on your vote yeah, handily, uh, uh, when I got to 22 minutes, then it was just something that I had in my deck of cards that I knew how to do. So it served me well when I had to go interview politicians or something, because I, I was like, great, I know this character. I know his backstory. I know who he is. And uh, it's there's a weird thing when, when I'm doing characters, uh, which I like, which is it's sort of like you're channeling someone that isn't, it opens up a part of your brain that you're not necessarily aware of. Like sometimes when I'm in a character, like I don't really need to think of what to say because they just sort of know what to say. It sounds really kind of weird and like wicky wacky, but like the character will think of things I don't think I would have thought to say mm -hmm. at any given moment because it's like you, you just go into sort of their brain and their brain is a little different than my brain. Uh, and so I don't have to worry about like, well, like, what am I going to say now? I just sort of let them go. Let them take the reins, take control. Yeah, which is weird. And it sounds dumb because of course it's me and I know it's me, but it doesn't feel like me. It right. feels like them. Like it's Mark Jackson talking, not Gavin Crawford playing. Mark yeah like I never I always think of them as individual people who have their own like kind of thoughts and and whole process and backstory I mean sometimes you'll you know obviously the sketches are written out but sometimes they're not and I think partly that comes from you know second city training too because you really have to just be sort of open you just kind of like you just get in the moment and then you just let whatever happens happens and that, that happens a little bit 
uh, on Because News as well, because it's doing Because News now, you know, I'm doing a, a, a lot of things when I'm hosting that show. I'm, I'm, I'm working off the script, asking questions, but also it's a lot of improv. improv. Uh, I don't know what the panelists are going to say, particularly on any given topic like they don't really pre-write their answers we don't give them the questions in advance so um when you're there doing it you're sort of like sort of open your brain in a weird way to just sort of like let it absorb the information of what the people are saying and what they're talking about and allow yourself to just be like oh if a joke it's not even like a joke pops into your head it's like a joke just comes out of your mouth and you don't even really sometimes know like you couldn't say, when did I, I think of that? Sometimes I'll just start talking on that show and hope that a punchline will emerge by the time I get to the end of the right. sentence, yeah. um, which is, uh, and sometimes those are the best jokes where you, you just come out with something and you're like, I don't even know how my brain put that together to come out. You just know you're like, there must be a good, joke about this somewhere and you'll just sort of launch into it and then just it somehow kind of just magically emerges and then you you can surprise yourself by just how actually solid a joke that you sort of thought of on the fly actually was right like how can i how how was i that witty yeah that's what it means like it's almost like not even being witty you're just sort of like letting the the environment and the people around you just kind of inform what's coming out of your mouth. It's like, and then you just respond to it. I mean, it's basically just pretending. I guess that's what I'm, I've learned. I'm good at pretending to be someone else for a limited wow. amount of time, which is weird because I actually am a horrible liar. I so can't, as myself, I get busted every time I try to tell a lie. I'm not a good liar. But if I'm in a character, it's somehow it's it's completely. If I want to do a crime, it's going to have to be. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a bad. Uh, it will be a weird crime because I'll have to be uh, in the character of someone. Mark Jackson commits a f felony. Yes, they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, did you see that um, old cowboy Sam Elliott robbed a bank?" <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the character stuff is that's that's my sort of first love, and I hope I get to do again or more of it yeah because i i have to say like your your characters just like the ones that you've done on 22 minutes and like even on the crawford show and just even the ones that you've done outside of it i remember even though you weren't on uh 22 minutes i this isn't really a character more of like an impression but you did um you did kathleen win a lot and just the impressions that you do and just the characters are just fantastic like like what you say, you you no longer become uh, Gavin Crawford. You become that character almost, like a, and like yeah. The Kathleen Wynn stuff was fun because I, even when I talk, like I don't sound anything like her when I do Kathleen Wynn. But there's just some element there. I mean, how that came about was literally when she was running. I passed a billboard, and my husband was like, "Oh, you, you have the same exact cheekbones." And I was like, you know what? You're right, I do. And then we just, I had this blonde wig left over from when we did Wild West and I just put it on and tucked the back of it sort of in and then put on some glasses and 
I think I was doing a live, a pride show. And so we just taped a little kind of like a pride message from Kathleen Wynne that started with her being like, like, hello there, I'm Kathleen Wynne. Bonjour, Jamala Jamala Kathleen Wynne. Because she always used to, when she spoke French, it was always barely hanging on French. Right. And, uh, and yeah, and then it just kind of took off from, it just sort of took off from there. It served me well for a while when she was uh, premier. Happy Pride, Toronto. We're running the joint now. And by we, I mean me. I know how excited I would be to know that there was a big old dyke in charge of Queen's Park. So I hope I can count on all of you LGBTQIA LMNOPs to continue to support my lesbian liberal government. And you in turn can count on the liberals to always do the right thing. Eventually. I think I, the capper was right before she was like out of office. I got to host the Dora Awards in Toronto and uh, we did a whole big Kathleen Wynn opening number, which I had like dancing kids from like Sheridan College. There was this whole like choreographed number where she had her Kathleen Wynn power suit on and then it would like, it got torn off and she had like a Canada bodysuit with like a skirt (laughs) and like in heels and, yeah, that was very fun. Anytime I get the chance to do like a song and dance uh, is a good day for me. Because it's just that extra. Mm-hmm. It was also just so ridiculous. Like the idea of like Kathleen Wynn being a showgirl uh, was very funny to me for some reason. Well, you never know. People are picking up some strange hobbies during uh, this kind of lockdown that we've had. Yeah, maybe it'll be her tap dance masterclass. Well, who knows? <laughs> Now, something I want to ask is this is it's mildly interesting to me, but I guess after doing, I'm not sure if it was before or after, you actually made it to American television um, and you were on a show called uh, Hype. And yes. um, it's a very, and I actually had no idea this existed until a few days ago. And it's this kind of, this obscure comedy show that was on uh, the WB, which is a defunct network uh but it was like kind of like a very it was very early 2000s kind of like mad tv kind of snl kind of sketch show and it's very it's very high energy i i've watched i watched a few of them the few that are online which is crazy and they've actually i guess it was it was kind of like this lost thing for a while and then i guess somebody kind of uploaded their tape copy that they had of the show and it's actually it's it's a little time capsule i guess what was it like yeah. getting into there that it was weird um uh, what happened was i had a i had auditioned for saturday saturday night live i was at just for laughs and then i had to leave just for laughs to fly to new york for the weekend uh by myself do an snl audition but it was like really terrible kind of timing it was like right after jfk jr had died and the Mm. casting director of Saturday Night Live was like best friends with like his wife so she was not in the mood to like see people it was just kind of this horrible sort of thing uh nobody got hired that year from anybody that auditioned they just didn't hire any new people I guess the tape from that audition was kind of like making its way around so I got a call from 
Warner Brothers and they were like, the producers were like, hey, uh, you know, we're doing this new sketch show and we want you to come and uh, audition for it. Can you get on, can you fly to LA tonight, I think? It was literally like no time. So I like threw some underwear and pants in a bag, went to the airport, flew to LA. They put me up at like Universal Studios Hotel in Universal City, but I had never been to LA. And it, th this was at the time when they before before Lyft and Uber where it was impossible to get around LA if you didn't have a car. Cabs, you could call a cab but it wouldn't come for like four hours. Uh, so I was just kind of stuck in LA and I went and I did the initial audition and I think you had to do like, you know, four impressions and a couple of characters. And then they said, great, come back the next day. And we did more. And then they were like, okay, yeah, we need you to go to network. Uh, and we're going to test you before network. And that's uh, happening like on Monday. And I think this was Thursday. So I kept just having to stay in LA for like a week, not know, really knowing what was happening. And then you go and you test in front of all these executives in a boardroom. I got hired to do it. Um, and the WB at that time was a big deal. It was like, the, it was, I think what the CW is now, like it had Dawson's Creek. Um, they had a number of big, it was like the young, cool network. How are we making fun of all things hyped? Movies, television, sports? internet, music, what have you. But what makes hype so special is that it's on the WB. WB short for why bother? Nobody's watching anyway. So they can do things that other networks that'll be around for a while can't. <laughs> and so we shot this pilot, which actually was good and very funny. And they had very talented writers from like a lot of ex SNL writers and the showrunners were um, Terry Sweeney and Lanier uh, who had written the movie Shag and were like Mad TV sort of alumni. Uh, so we shot this pilot, which was fun and great. And then the show got picked up. And then somehow between getting the show picked up and like the pilot, uh, the producers got like, they just got very nervous of everything. And so they started second guessing all the sketches and making everything like a, a lot dumber. And they wouldn't let the writers like, write sketches they would always rewrite the sketches so like they would just get sort of watered down and very um bad so yeah. it was weird because we went from like or doing a pilot rather that was very fun and good to like actually getting to be the show and then them the producers just being like suddenly very obsessed with like how we looked and how we were presenting ourselves and uh it became this very like they kept Googling, like, what do teens like? And then throwing it in the sketches and not sort of trusting the writers to actually write sketches. So I ended up quite hating that job. And I just wanted off of it. Uh, the cast was great. There were some really amazing, amazing people. One of them, my friend, Jennifer Elise Cox, who plays Jan Brady in the Brady Bunch movies. Um, and I loved the Brady Bunch movies and so, um, meeting her, I was like kind of like starstruck because I'm like, oh my God, you're Jan Brady, but she's the nicest person and so funny. Um, she plays like a funny nurse on Will and Grace a lot. Uh, but she, uh, so she was kind of a saving grace for me. And, um, but the actual like shooting of the sketch, it was very weird. Like Americans do things, very, like we would have a live audience, but then 
I think we spent once like nine hours like filming like ourselves like walking out of these doors to like cool music with like the audience cheering and then someone would have to say like welcome to hype and they wanted it to be this guy a chicken that was like sort of the kind of hot new thing uh but he was like a bit hollywood like he he was like a, a kid from florida very young but he instantly got like you know addicted to coke and you know he would be like super high and we'd be there in front of the audience for hours and hours just so he could say like welcome to hype but it, they weren't getting what they wanted and we were like can one of us can somebody else just say it and they're like no no it has to be chicken so uh yeah so the audience was there like just getting tired for like four hours and we kept having to do like these ridiculous like walking down a runway and and we're all like we're we're comedians like we feel and I, it's very hard to um, for a comedian to sort of present themselves in that like, look how hip and cool I am way without making fun of it. At least it is for me. But they really wanted us to be like the hot young stars. <laughs> and we were like, we're sketch comedians. Like we're supposed to be funny, not heartthrobs. Uh, so it was a strange, I ended up in that show like, literally dressing up like the producers on set and like running around and being like, I'm an idiot, <laughs> trying to get myself fired so badly. So, I mean, it was a fun experience, but ultimately it was not a great experience. And it was weird, like so weird because I think because of immigration, it, they didn't pay us for so long. Like I was in LA, I had to get an apartment and move there and like, and it's just very complicated to like try and get like a bank account and a phone set up and and they weren't paying us yet so like they owed us a lot of money but i didn't have any money so i was living in this like apartment that i literally had lawn chairs like that was my furniture was like a dollar 99 lawn chairs that i had picked up but then they kept wanting us to go to like these cool wb parties to be seen so they would send you clothes, like really fancy clothes would arrive in the afternoon and then you'd have to pick out an outfit and then they'd pick you up in a limo and drive you to this party. And you'd go to this like really fancy party like to, so that you could get like photographed and be like the hot new kids and this hot new sketch show. But then you'd leave the party and a limo would drive you back to your crappy Hollywood basement right. apartment and you'd like get out in these really fancy clothes and go back into your like apartment that you had just lawn furniture in oh, wow. it was the strangest uh, it was a very strange experience so i and then i sort of i toyed with staying in la after that show ended i think we did like mm, i think we did 19 episodes of that show in total I and then around the, i think 16 that i'm that i'm just reading what wikipedia is telling me but yeah it could like be 16 that. or maybe we did 19 and they only aired 16. lost episodes now i just remember it was getting like like yeah it just kept i remember i was like the sketches kind of got like dumber and dumber uh more and more dumb and it was frustrating for me because i'm like i this isn't what i signed up for because the pilot sketches were actually kind of smart like they had an american beauty happy meal sketch 
which was quite funny. And I got to play Kevin Spacey. The other thing they did on that show, which was weird, is that they would put us, they hired us all because we could do impressions, but then they would put us in like really heavy prosthetics so that if you were doing an impression of someone, you would look exactly like them, which somehow makes the impression not good. Because if you look exact, if they've made you up to look exactly like a person, then you need to then also sound exactly like that person. Like there's something about doing an impression where you, you're trying to capture an essence of a person and that's what's good about it. Cause people are like, oh, I never thought of it that way. You know what I mean? You've captured an essence of something that maybe uh, when you see the real person, you don't really, that's not what's in your head, but you, there's some essence that you do. And then you, you sort of broaden it to make mm -hmm. it comedic. Um, but for some reason, when they put on a fake nose and fake eyebrows and stuff like that, it, it, it sort of, instead of adding to it, it takes away. And then you just like are doing like a weird puppet. Like where you're like, oh, I just look like a puppet of Billy Bob Thornton. And right. then you're like, why don't I just, why don't you just get a puppet? Uh, so yeah, so that kind of, um, that kind of thing didn't ended up not really kind of working. And also they just wouldn't let us, um, they wouldn't let the writers write. Like we had great writers like Karen Kilgariff, I remember was a writer on that show who's like went on to be like the head writer of the Ellen show for a really long time. And now is like kind of um, quite famous for doing my favorite murder podcast. And uh, they came, the producers came and uh, they had asked them, they're like, Dawson's Creek is really hot right now. And so is Harry Potter. Like we need to write a sketch that's like uh, a Harry Potter sketch. And so I think Karen, I think it was Karen and I wrote the sketch called like, it was called Potter's Moat. And it was like a cross between Harry Potter and Dawson's Creek. And it was really funny, like Harry and Hermione with like a love triangle. And it was right at the time when Dawson's Creek was huge. And then the producers were just like, oh, we don't like, nobody knows who Herm Hermione is. Like this sketch is too, it's got too many Harry Potter specific references. Don't worry, we'll rewrite it, we'll fix it. And then they took it away and then we went to the table read and they had come back with a sketch that was a commercial for Harry Pottery Barn. Oh, where it was like, come on oh. down to Harry Pottery Barn, free wand with purchase. And we were like, you're trying to appeal to teenagers who are watching Dawson's Creek and reading Harry Potter, but you don't think they know who Hermione is. And now you've come back with a sketch that's about Pottery Barn, which is not appealing to any teenager on any level. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was just like a weird thing where they didn't really know, they couldn't kind of decide what they wanted. Uh, so it was a weird experience. And then I think at that time too, it's just like, I had agents in LA and they were like, uh, you know, they're like, you've got really good press, but we can't send it out because it says you're gay in all the press. And this was like in 2001. And <laughs> I, I was just like, I'm a comedian. Like, I'm not trying to be Tom Cruise down here, but they, it was just at that time where you just like, you couldn't get work in Hollywood if you were, even as a comedian, if you were 
gay. They just were, they just didn't, they wanted everyone to be at the very least say their bye or something. And mm -hmm. I found that just like irritating. And I was like, you know what? This is dumb. I'm gonna go to Canada because I think we, it was in between doing seasons of Gavin Crawford show. I still had to go back to do the last season of Gavin Crawford show. So I was like, you know what? I'd rather be in Canada where it isn't a big deal and nobody like, they don't care. Uh, they just care if it's funny. It's yes, it's less money and there's less opportunities, but the opportunities were more to my liking and more of my taste. So, uh, so then I came back and did the last season of Gavin Crawford show. And then, yeah. And then luckily 22 minutes kind of fell into my lap. Uh, and then uh, I just carried on from there. Now, I mean, I've been very lucky <laughs> in terms of being able to be a Canadian comedian and have work. A lot of it's some kind of work you have to sort of self-invent sometimes, but um, out of that comes other work. And, you know, it's a, it's a very fortunate thing that I've been able to basically not have to have a non-acting day job for the last 18 or 19 years, which is very exciting. Now, with 22 minutes going back to there, we kind of talked about it in the opening. Now, you were on for a very long time. And quite frankly, this is this is biased because I guess this is kind of what I grew up with. But some of my favorite content from the show was kind of like the stuff that they made from like 2007-ish to like 2010. And I consider that to be personally because uh, unfortunately, I never experienced most of what came before, but I did experience what came after. But I consider personally to, that to be the absolute peak of 22 minutes, some of like the best uh, writing and some of the best skits personally of what I what I think are some of the best. And um, you were, of course, and I have to, I'm, I'm a buttering you up a little bit and I'm not, I'm, I mean it genuinely, but you were some of my favorite kind of uh, characters, some of the favorite skits, like even another one that was one of my favorite was this was, but Nathan Fielder was a great on that. And of course, like Mark Critch and Kathy Jones and Jerry Hall. And then Susan Kent came in a little bit around that time. But some of my favorites were you and some of the impressions that you did. Like I loved you do Michael Ignatieff, you would do uh, Galen Weston. You'd always introduce himself saying, hi, I'm gay, Len Weston. And, you know, and one of my absolute favorites, and this was one that kind of was like around 2008, 2009, was this was this kind of sketch where it was uh, CBC's Computer Corner with this character called Gunther Wilson. He was kind of like this foreigner trying to get around technology. CBC's Computer Corner with host Gunther Wilson. Oh, hello and welcome to Computer Corner. I'm Gunther Wilson and like everyone else, today I'll be talking about the swine flu or as they call it in my home country, the bacon bug. The internet is always the first place that you should go to get help with medical issues. Once I had a horrible rash on my elbow, which the internet told me was autism. And now I get a subsidy from the government. Thanks, the web. The internet I love Computer Corner. Computer Corner was one of my favorites to do. That was Kevin White uh, who wrote the first Computer Corner. And then uh, 
just I think from having to deal with like his parents trying to teach them technology and just the idea that this guy would have a, a show on CBC teaching you how to use computers but literally don't not know anything about computers was just a very a funny idea and then I kind of got the script and then uh I used to have an old um I had a science teacher named Mr. Daniluk when I was a kid who kind of had that sort of weird, like half Scandinavian, half European kind of non-placeable accent. And uh, he used to wear a bullet uh, hanging from his pants. He was like a, quite a big guy, but he always had like a key ring with bullets hanging on it. And he used to be like, oh, this is the bullet I shot a bear with. And uh, I don't know, for some reason, he just seemed like the right person to be doing computer corner. So uh, when we married the like script with sort of that voice of like, hey there, I'm Gunter Wilson, welcome to computer corner. And and just like confidently not knowing um, what he's talking about uh, was really, uh, it's just really funny to me. There's one we did, I think, I can't remember the exact script of it but where he doesn't understand like any of the text speak like he thinks like lol means lots of love oh yeah i remember that being, one he kept being like you know send it it's nice to send a nice note to your aunt like sorry that your husband died lol and um which is just based on i think uh yeah actually actual people not knowing i think <laughs> my mother used to do that right like lol thinking it meant lots of love uh and uh it's just so ridiculous but yeah those um that was a fun era for me i 22 i i think i probably like the second year to the sixth year i was there that was sort of the most fun time and then in the last couple of years it was just sort of like you kind of had done everything and it starts to get repetitive and you feel like, oh, I, I want to do a different character, but they're like, no, let's do another one of these. And you're like, well, we've made 10 of them. Uh, so that was kind of like winding down. And then I'm like, I kind of want to go do something else. So I feel like I left kind of at the right time. Everyone was like, why are you leaving the show? Like, you'll never get another job. And I was like, yeah, but it, it's, I feel like I'm getting stale a bit here and I don't want to do that. So I'd rather try and go do something else. Um, that's just my sort of personality. So you left the show? So uh, you, yeah. Oh, wow. I was, I was scared to ask because I know that of recently there was that big, there was kind of like the controversy where, uh, where uh, Sean Majumner got fired from the show. And then I didn't want, I didn't want to bring it up just thinking that God forbid you got fired, but no, no, I didn't get, I did not get fired. Uh, I just, uh, I just decided uh, sort of that at uh, the eight, I think it was there for eight years, eight and a half, you count the Mary Walsh show. But uh, during that eight, sort of eighth year, I was like, I just was frustrated. And I kind of was like, mm, I like 22 minutes is like a machine and you can only do sort of you work within that machine you try to be the best cog you can in a wheel that in a machine that you didn't invent um you know and that you can't really alter particularly mm -hmm. uh so you know it was just time and i sort of felt it was just time and you know i didn't want to be 
grumpy at work. Uh, I wasn't having as much fun as I had previously. Uh, and so, yeah, I just, I just decided, I just told them, I said, I think I told them just after Christmas, I was said like, look, this is going to be my last season. Um, I'm going to, I'm not going to come back next year. Uh, I got to move on and do something else. And they were like, uh, okay. Um, yeah. So it was, it was amicable. Uh, it was just sort of time to move on. Sketch shows are hard to do. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot, they're intense. It's a lot of work. The writing is intense. The turnaround is intense. The egos are intense. Um, you know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of people trying to decide what they think is funny. Uh, everyone is very subjective. Uh, so it can be, it can be quite hard at times. Uh, and you just get, you just kind of burn out a little bit. And I felt like I was kind of getting burnt out from it. And so I was like, you know what, it's better rather than me being here wanting the show to change, it's better for me to go and let someone else come in and, bring what they bring to it right yeah I mean I'm a little sad because Susan Kent is great and I would love Susan I think was in for like guesting on a couple of episodes during my last year there but um I would have liked to be there full-time when Susan was there full-time because uh we get along and she's I just think she's so funny uh so that that was a bit sad because I'm like oh no I would have been able to work with Susan uh Unfortunately, I think she's she's not on the show either anymore. I think they're a three-person cast now. Yeah, it's possible. Um, yeah, I mean, 22 sometimes doesn't necessarily know what to do with the women, um, yeah. depending on depending on the who they have writing or at, at what particular time or who's producing. Um, you, you, it goes through phases where there will be great sketches and, and they'll get a lot to do. And then you can suddenly notice you're like, wait a minute, they're not really being featured that much right now and it's not because they aren't any <laughs> they're just as good as they always have been but it just depends who's picking the sketches and whose taste is kind of running the ship a little bit I think did you have any role in the writer's room when you were on the show or was that left to other people were you just uh uh reading the scripts oh no I always wrote uh that was one of the that's one of the main things I liked about 22 minutes is that uh I was uh, allowed to write not the copy jokes and things like that I mean they have a there's always like there's a great writer's room but they have a lot of things to do where they have to um sorry my cat's going crazy <laughs> no, it's, it's no problem <laughs> um you know it's a hard job like they have to you know write 100 jokes a day and then 99 of them will get thrown out and, and it's very demoralizing when you're at the read-through and you just watch jokes hit the floor hit the floor hit the floor it teaches you not to be precious about things but yeah I uh I wrote uh a lot of sketches and would co-write sketches too with like other writers like that's that's the nice thing is if a writer can come to you and say like I sort of have an idea for this but I don't know how to make it work or um what about this and then you know uh we would write things together and I actually wrote a lot for um Kathy because I like I, I really like writing for Kathy because things you write for Kathy, she's just so kind of marvelous and magic that she just kind of can pull a character out of thin air. And it's seem it's such a fully for formed person. Uh, and it, it just makes, 
yeah, she I don't know, she has an, a, an amazing skill. Uh, and that was very exciting for me when I first got there because I always loved Kathy and I loved her characters. Like I grew up, it's weird to hear you be like, I grew up watching 22 because I'm like, I also grew up watching 22, but a different era of 22. So it was very exciting for me to be like, I can't believe I get to play with these people that I've you know been watching and now I'm here so that was very exciting but yeah so we did uh I did get to write a lot and that's part of the reason why I like that job because if I if I'm just acting in something I don't I it doesn't give me enough to do uh I've always liked to write so that's it's again like with because news because I get to write a lot of because news uh that's sort of how I prefer to work I like to be in an environment where I can if I have something that I want to say, I like to be able to. Now, going off from that, um, you went after 22 minutes, you kind of, you mentioned it briefly, you started a, uh, you were in, I, I guess, kind of a short series, or I guess a series of shorts that was, it, I believe it was called Wild Wild West. I think the working, t- it was called My Calgary at one point, or uh, we'll, I don't know. I don't know what they've put on Wikipedia. Uh, it was called Wild West. It, um, Basically, it's our, it was originally, we did it as a pilot for CBC and almost got picked up, but then didn't, uh, which was frustrating. And then it almost got picked up again about a year later and then didn't, which was also devastating. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was a great fun show. We did it as a pilot where I was like, I played six different characters, sort of all from Alberta. It sort of started out, we were trying to do like a Little Britain, Canada type of deal. But then the network was like, Canada's too broad. Uh, is there, can we make it more specific? And um, so we were like, we sort of thought about it. And I was like, well, you know what? Yeah, we could, most of these characters will work if they're just like various people from Alberta. Um, and so we had like, there was like a farm kid that thinks he's a vampire. There was like an Australian girl that, uh, works in Banff. Uh, there was these sort of gay ranchers uh, that were trying, struggling to keep their ranch afloat. And then we had this very dumb polit- Edmonton politician that was sort of prototype Donald Trump, pre-Donald Trump. I remember the notes we would get on the network, but they would always be like, this is too, like, no politician would be able to keep, stay in power if he was this dumb. And I was like, fast forward to now. I know. And then the thing is like, in a weird way, it was really prescient. And then I played like also like kind of a, like, a, well, it was like a prototype Karen was like an oil wife, a horrible sort of like slightly racist Alberta oil wife. Um, yeah, it's weird. I was just thinking about that show the other day because like we did actually write, they hired us to write six more scripts for it when they thought they were going to actually go ahead and pull the trigger the second time uh and then they ended up not doing it but we still have the scripts and I was looking at them and it, it's amazing how kind of ahead of its time that show was because everything in that show basically is still sort of current now almost more current than it it was then mm-hmm. you know what I mean like the oil wife like now there's a name for that lady now everyone's like okay like that's a Karen calling the cops on everyone but you know so Sometimes we suffer a little bit for being a, a bit ahead of our time in terms of the comedy that we write, I yeah. think. Uh, but it's weird. That show, uh, I think, yeah, then w- they broke it up. 
just for online when they were um, sort of, I think, launching uh, some CBC comedy portal. And we were like, well, why don't you take the characters, you know, they they exist standalone uh, and just break them up into into shorts. They were fun. It was fun to write for those characters. So, yeah, the scripts are just sitting right there. So maybe I don't know if we ever get uh, we ever get the green light or some money to produce it. We might. Who knows? It may. it may live on. Oh, CBC, if they're listening, maybe uh, <laughs> yeah. branch off. Uh, or you know, you got the TV version of of because news happening now. Can have that as a little, uh, I guess, continuity thing between commercial breaks. Who knows? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, we just wrapped up the first six episodes of the TV show. I hope we'll do more. I don't know yet uh, uh, whether or not we will. Uh, but uh, it uh, it turned out okay. It was uh, fun to do uh it was just very nice to be back in the studio with the panel in the same room during these pandemic times having to we've been doing it over zoom since i guess march uh which is like a little more complicated so it's very nice the energy of just like having the comedians and myself in the same room was very nice and uh yeah they built us like a crazy set and uh had all these video screens it was um it was fun quick steep uh fast learning curve but we sort of were like we're not trying to reinvent the show we're just adapting it with visuals uh so hopefully it will work and uh yeah i think pretty much it i think pretty much it did it stayed pretty much the same show that it is on the radio and i like that it's also stayed on podcast and radio so it's like truly a multi-platform show. And uh, yeah, now we're back to podcasts and radio until uh, I guess they decide they want more TV episodes. Now that originally started off as a podcast. Uh, how, how did that originally come around? Were, were you, uh, was, is, was Because News your creation or? Um, I mean, uh, partly, but not entirely. Uh, basically, Elizabeth Bowie, who's our senior producer, her and David Carroll uh, had been working on uh, Go, the show Go on CBC for a number of years, producing that with Brent Banbury. And uh, Liz called me and said they've given us the go ahead to make a pilot for a news quiz. And the, the, we thought you'd be a good host for it and uh, we wondered if you were interested in doing that and I was like uh yes I love those kind of shows I I always like the British panel shows and quiz shows um so I was like yeah I think I know how I think I could help do that uh and then they were like uh oh great come down and audition on Monday and then I was like wait what you want me to audition I thought you were just I was like okay sure uh, so I didn't really worry about it because I knew I would be able to do it. So I went down to the CBC on Monday and did their the sort of a little dummy version of it. And uh, it was embarrassing because I had to, I had left my wallet at home, but I didn't have time to go back. So I had to park in this place. And then when I was, after the audition was over, I had to like ask them, I was like, does anyone have $20 I can borrow <laughs> so I can get out of the parking lot? Oh, it's like super professional to go to an audition and be like, hi, please hire me. Also, can I have 20 bucks? Uh, David very kindly lent me $20, which I don't think I have ever paid back. Interest, man. Yeah, I know. I probably owe him thousands now. But so 
yeah, they decided, yes, you will be the host of it. And then we just kind of got together and sort of just talked about what it should be and what, how, what, what we thought would work and what we thought wouldn't work and uh, sort of modeled it after the British shows. And, um, you know, they had tried to do a number of kind of quiz shows on CBC radio, but none of them had really kind of stuck around. Basically a talk show, it should be about the jokes and the comedy. It's not really about the questions so much it's like that's kind of like that's the container but that's not the content the content is the comedy and if we sort of work from that perspective we should be all right and then uh, yeah we did a pilot of it and the network liked it and gave us a green light to start making it a weekly radio show and podcast and five years later we're still doing it <laughs> Was it was it weird kind of transitioning from, uh, I guess, the audio only version to TV? Because the TV version kind of started um, after kind of a bit of the COVID clear up when like kind of shows were allowed to start up again in like the regular format. But was it because do you record did you record um, you would record in studio with your guests, obviously. So this would kind of be a step up of that. Yeah, I mean, we still have to do the writer's room over Zoom and work remotely, which is not the best, but, you know, you make do. Uh, and then uh, we sort of had like very strict COVID protocols where like I know everyone was in masks and the crew was quite far away and there was a very limited number of crew and in the room and, you know, the people in the control room never came on on the floor and the vice versa. Like I never, I never, I barely even saw the director uh, except over Zoom and things like that, because they were in a completely separate control room. So it was weird. It's a, it's a weird thing to do during a pandemic. And then also those kind of shows, you know, our show is best when we can have a live audience in mm -hmm. there laughing because, you know, it helps the panel gauge what's going on. It jazzes up the energy, but obviously that's just not possible right now. So, you know, we were like, what do we do? And then, uh, we had the idea to be like, you know what, let's just pull old studio audiences from old CBC shows that we have the rights to like John and vision or whatever. And we'll just like have a fake audience uh, each week and then we'll just make it into kind of a, a gag. Uh, but it will serve a purpose because it will actually give the sound of clapping and things like that, uh, which Where actually ended it? up working really well. And, and was like funny because then you're like every week you're like oh what's the weird audience going to be this week uh, so that was ended up being like just kind of like a weird necessity is the mother of invention kind of idea right uh, but yeah it was uh, making the TV show wasn't too phenomenally different than making the radio show uh, the most of the most of the trauma of making the TV show is just trying to pass everything through the lawyers just to make oh, like sure what it, you're legally allowed to say not even just allowed to say but it's just a rights thing like for some like you know every time you use a photo you have to make sure you have clearance of the photo or you know any music has to it all has to be cleared or bought because you can't you, you don't have photos on the radio obviously yeah is it fair use is it fair dealing that like does this fall under the satire laws and so it just adds a whole, um, basically, it adds a two-person job of 
not only are you trying to write things that are funny and you know the the best thing you can possibly write but then you also have to be like are we technically allowed to show this can we use this what about this footage uh so that just adds like a another hurdle in terms of like trying to get the show up and running off the ground but you know we managed to get everything cleared and and keep it going and i feel like the show the tv show grew really fast from the very like we we had six episodes and from the first episode to the sixth episode you can markedly see like uh it just gets sort of slicker and slicker uh as it goes along uh so i mean the team was really great that that tv crew was really adept at responding to what works what didn't work and quickly making changes on the fly uh, so we ended up with, uh, you know, pretty much what we wanted, which is a British style panel show uh, on the CBC. Were those six episodes it? Are there going to be more episodes, maybe a season two or? Uh, I certainly hope so. I don't know. Then That's really up to the network to decide. I don't know whether um, there's talk that we might do. I don't know whether we'll end up doing like quarterly specials where it'd be like, you know, every three months, there's a one hour TV version of Because News, which might be fun because you'd have like a lot more stories to work with. So it would right. be on the radio most of the time, but then you'd have like four times a year, you do like a like a special. I kind of like the idea of that. But then also, uh, yeah, they could very well just be like, hey, great. We just want, we want to make more of these and, uh, you know, we'll do another, I guess, I don't know what we would do, like maybe in the fall at January february march do another run of uh six or maybe like six and then a break and then another six it just it's completely in the hands of the network i know that they liked the show and that um uh i think the ratings were good so that bodes well but uh you never know here's hoping fingers crossed i would like to do more uh but i don't mind also doing the radio show because it's just uh there's a lot a few less things to think about right and I enjoy the podcast on on the radio. We have a huge, uh, lovely, lovely fan base in Canada. People seem to to have responded really well to this show, and I get you know so many nice notes from people who are like, "I love the podcast. It gets me through the week." And uh, so I'm I'm very happy that uh, people like it and that we get to keep doing it. For the show, has has it? You've mentioned big Canadian fan base. Has it has it ever made it across the border? Has any Americans uh, taken it? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, there's we have a lot of fans of the podcast from kind of all over the world, but uh, there are a lot of Americans, sometimes expat Canadians living in America, because the podcast you can kind of get anywhere, right? Uh, so that allows us to have sort of fans kind of all over the place. Um, yeah, and we do have, there are a number of people who are, they're, they're sad. Uh, I know that they're American because they write and say like, we can't get the TV show because we don't get CBC Jeff. Yeah. Uh, so they're, uh, they, they're stuck with the podcast for now. Uh, but yeah, they, uh, it's surprising uh, how many Americans actually listen. I mean, we do talk American politics on the show. I mean, how right. could you not with what's going on? There is such a, it's such an elephant in the room. Yeah, that helps. I think they get a little Canadian perspective on what's going on in their country. Now uh, we're we're nearing the end here. It's uh it's been a long it's been a long one, but a long one, but a good one in my books personally. 
Oh, but great. Thanks. I just Feel free want... to cut out all the boring things. <laughs> I can't. There's nothing boring personally. I don't know. That's just me. But um, I wanted I want to ask before you go, because I like to ask this from uh, most of my from my guests. Well, I want to start asking this uh, for my guests who appear on the show. Uh, I want to ask, what what have you been watching? I know we've had a lot of free time. I don't know if you've been as free as the as most uh, most people I know. But through your free time, what has what has Gavin Crawford been watching? What has been your your go to show? What have you been watching right now? Uh, right now, I'm currently watching Dark, which is a German show on Netflix. That's kind of like a more adult Stranger Things. Uh, it's very good. It's a little sci fi. Um, it's interesting. What else have I been watching? I watch a lot of um, Brit box kind of. I like old British murder mysteries. I find them comforting. So I've been watching a lot of uh, just stupid like Death in Paradise. And uh, I just watched uh, the 2005 adaptation of Bleak House with Gillian Anderson, oh. which was very, very good. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's like a 10 part series, but I had never seen an adaptation of Bleak House and it was, it was quite good. And then what else do I watch? I watch a lot of, uh, I just watch a lot of like old Broadway musical clips on YouTube. That's what gets me through. Now, something I wanted to met you mentioned BritBox. Have you checked out the uh, new spitting image that they've uh, had? I guess it's kind of exclusive to their streaming service. It's also on uh, YouTube as well, but it's a really funny, I guess you're mentioning those British shows, but it's like a British kind of puppet show that there's oh, yeah. these caricatures of these, uh, I guess, po- worldwide politicians. I'm a bit, I'm a bit disappointed though. There's no Canadian representation in the show, but uh, I thought a Justin Trudeau uh, puppet would fit in there, but it's still a very funny show. Um, very, it's, it's, it's very vulgar compared to other comedy shows, but I love it. Yeah, I remember the uh, I'm I'm old. So I remember the original spitting image, which was like on when I was a teenager. Uh, There was a lot of Margaret Thatcher uh, stuff going on in the original spitting image. I found I find those puppets a little bit unsettling. Yeah, I have to agree with you. They're they're a little too close. And I kind of had a flashback, like when you were saying with with the other show hype and you were saying, oh, they had so much prosthetics, you felt like a puppet. I had the image of the Boris Johnson. That's what we used to. That's what we used to sort of say on that show was like, now we're basically just being spitting image. Oh, well, you were I guess you're ahead of the 2020 spitting image then. But it was like it's weird to do that with real people. But yeah, spitting image is always uh i think spinning image used to come on cbc when i was a kid like at like 10 o'clock and i i would watch it it was a lot of ronald reagan and uh margaret thatcher uh bashing and puppetry going on during those days and now uh i'm curious i should check i i should check out the new one i'll be interested to see uh (laughs) if it still creeps me out as much it's 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 really it's a weird show like in a good way, like it's, I like that it's practical because I feel like the whole, I guess, kind of thing is that they're, the, they're puppets, you know, like they could have animated it, but it's just like, it's kind of like, that's the, that's the main thing going for. And it's really, it, it, it's, it's quite funny. I personally think it's, it's an interesting show. I, I I'll say, I'll say this. It's something that the CVC wouldn't put on today. If they put on spitting image back then, I don't think they would put this version on. 
Yeah. Well, you never know. They might. They have their their standards are different when it comes to British shows. I always say that. I'm like, why would why are you putting this show on? But you wouldn't make it. Yeah, that's true. That, I mean, that's they a used very to, interesting. CBC point. used to air absolutely fabulous. But I mean, good lord, try to pitch them a Canadian something that's similar to absolutely fabulous. They'd never go for it. That's quite the take there. <laughs> I, I I'd be so bite I, the hand that feeds me. I'm like, be bolder, CBC. Take more chances. I mean, they kind of are. Trickster's really good. That's a new, that's a. I'm scared that if uh, two hours after this premieres on a Sunday, just uh, uh, because news is indefinitely canceled, I'll be canceled. No. Mark Mark Critch is suddenly brought in as the host. Oh, who knows? I, they might do that to me. They've done worse. <laughs> No, it'll be fine. Oh, wow. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It, absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, one for the bucket list, I guess. But awesome. uh, uh, just thanks again. Uh, you can check out Because News on uh, CBC Gem. Uh, the television version is there. Um, if it's free, if you're inside Canada, um, there's a uh, there's the podcast version available on all uh, not all, but most podcasting platforms, and it's an excellent show, uh, really is. You can actually catch it on CBC radios on Saturdays. And yeah, thanks again, Gavin Crawford, for coming on the show. Anything you'd like to say before we end off? Uh, just uh, say mask up, stay safe, everybody. Uh, see you in vaccine times. The Geo Show. Geo Show. The Geo Show. The Geo Show. The Geo show.